the Donovan Bandits are back, and we have a brand new episode for you today. Uh, this is a really uh, interesting one because we have two uh, independent comic creators joining us. Uh, Austin Huff, who does a book called The Masters, and Phil Russert, who does a book called The Tragedy. Uh, very, very cool books. Uh, if you like independent comics, The Masters uh, has a sort of old school flavor that I certainly love. And I guess the tragedy, I read it. It's one of the best written books I've read in a long time. These are two very talented guys, and they're talking about what they're doing in the independent comic scene and, and how to get their name out there. Yeah, this is another fantastic uh, Menaja Oren bonus episode. Uh, you have a way with uh, talking with teammates and you know co-publishers and just folks that um, have worked together for a while and uh, really brought out some interesting points and stories from these independent publishers. And like I've always said, it's it's great to have all the creators um, on the show, but it's also great to take a break every now and then and hear from people that do different things within the industry, uh, publishing their own books, especially indie guys like these. So let's get to it. This is Austin Huff and Phil Russert. So gentlemen, you guys are doing some absolutely incredible stuff the independent comic scene. I'm so excited to have you guys here. Um, my first question, and I'll start with uh, Phil, is how did this journey start for you to get to where you are now? Well, I mean, I've been in the industry for a while doing conventions and other things like that. And then I started becoming an art rep. <clears throat> then I got COVID and I actually almost died from it. And while I was in bed for six weeks, I said, you know what? Um, I hate being still. And one thing I always wanted to do was write a comic. And I had I had gotten a vision of the the character, the protagonist in my head one day, just a full, I don't know where it came from, just popped in my head. I was like, this is interesting. And uh, you know what? I just started writing. I wrote 13 issues while I was in bed, and I'm at 22 issues right now. I mean, the scripts. And <clears throat> I designed all my characters, and uh, here we are. I'm on book three starting on Tuesday, and I'm just, I'm excited. That's awesome. Austin, how about you? You know what, man? Um... I have made custom Mego action figures for the better part of 25 years now. And I was watching an old Batman 66 show with Adam West. And I got this crazy idea of a villain for his show. And it was inspired by the famous uh, surrealist artist, uh, um, uh, Salvador Dali. And I thought, wow, wouldn't he be really cool? He could like had a palette of magic paint that he could paint his way out of any bank robbery or jewelry heist. Well, I put that in the back of my mind, and then about, I don't know, 20 years later or so, as I'm running out of custom ego action figures, right, because that's my art form. I'm not a drawer. I'm not a painter. I make toys. All of a sudden, I'm like, you know, I'm running out of ideas, or I'm running out of, you know, different variations of Batman and Spider-Man to make custom ego action figures of, and I thought, oh, wow, I remember this guy from, like, the late <clears throat> 90s that I thought of. And I put them together and I thought, wow, you know, I could probably pick four or five other famous artists that I love from the 20th century and make some kind of a villain from them. Next thing I knew, I was like writing the masters and I sat down and I, I wrote a five issue story where the focus was on the villains. And I originally had it in like a brave and the bold type of a world where you would have Batman and a guest hero fighting each villain in different chapters. And at the end, they would all get together and battle each other and whatnot. 
and that's how it came about. And I wasn't able to, unfortunately, pitch the idea to DC. Um, so I said, you know what? I'm just going to replace all of my DC placeholders with Golden Age public domain heroes. I'm going to recreate them. I'm going to reinvent them. And boom, the next thing I knew, I was off. That's a smart idea. I dig that. And also, uh, Austin, you know, both of you guys working with such amazing talent. How do you select who you think is best for your vision? You know, it, it started out kind of interesting because when I originally did this, I reached out to Joe Rubenstein. I had met Joe Rubenstein a few years ago at a con, and we had become friendly. Well, now, we're not friends, but we're friendly. So I could always shoot him an email, and he'd always respond to me real quick. I had a question about something like, hey, when are you going to be in town? Can I get some autographs? Whatever. Can you do a commission? And I sent him this idea. I said, I'm looking for uh, you to ink some covers for me for uh, my own comic book series. And I said, I'd, I'd love to get in touch with some of your friends, Alan Weiss, Ron Wilson. I went through the list of people that I knew and loved from child, you know? Ron Wilson was another, Carrie Gamble. And um, I, asked, uh, I asked Joe, I said, hey, man, I'd like you to ink these guys. Can you put me in touch with them? And he said, sure. Next thing I knew, he was sending me, you know, uh, requests. He said, tell me what you want me to email these guys. So I did. The very next day, I get a response from Alan Weiss, right? Alan freaking Weiss. Next thing I knew, I was on the phone with him for three and a half hours. Next thing I knew, he didn't want to just do a cover for my book. He wanted to do a whole chapter of my book. He wanted to pick a villain. He wanted to pick a Golden Age superhero and recreate him. And it was like he gave me the blueprint for where to go from there. So next thing I know, I'm on the phone with Ron Wilson. Actually, I was on the phone with Bob Hall. And Ron Wilson was calling me while I was on the phone with Bob Hall. And I'm looking at my wife like, do I hang up with Bob Hall and talk to Ron Wilson? What do I do here? Do I send him a voicemail? And I'm like, it's Ron freaking Wilson. And, um, you know, ended up talking to Val Merrick and Pat Broderick and Mike Vosberg and Stephen Butler. And I mean, it was just person after person. Bart Sears all of a sudden got into the fold. I mean, I probably have maybe 35 to 40 different artists that I'm working with that it just was like, you know, when you tell somebody, yeah, you know, Alan Weiss told me to call you. They listen, right? It's a good thing. And it was like, it was just like dominoes falling. It was like boom, 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 boom. And now I've got people who are like reaching out to me on, on my social media, you know, looking for work. They're like, hey, man, I'd love to be a part of this project. You know, I, I reach out to Joe Rubenstein and I say, hey, you know, I know you know Mike Grell. Do you think he'd be interested in doing a cover? Well, next thing I knew, Mike Grell is calling me on the phone saying, hey, man, I heard about your project, blah, 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 from Joe. What do you have in mind? Next thing I know, I've got like Mike Grell doing a cover. I've got Joe Staten doing a cover. I've got Ramona Fraden doing a cover. It's just Pablo Marcos. Just crazy stuff. Very cool. Yeah, thanks. Hello. Yeah, it, it is, man. It's amazing. It has been a crazy ride. Yeah, I actually was uh, art repping Ron Wilson last year. So how do you go about picking uh, for your projects? Um... Well, you know, because I ran conventions, I still do, but they're on hiatus. I got to to know a lot of people, some I'm friends with, some like like he had said, I'm friendly with, Austin said. Um, and I I mean, honestly, I, you kind of have to toe the line between 
who are fan favorites of your, you know, that you're a favorite, uh, a fan of, but who you think is also marketable because unfortunately the truth is this is a business and I am a publisher, even though I'm small, um, we're trying to, to make the right fit. <clears throat> so my book, to me, my book is like an eighties writing style, but nineties art. So I tend to go towards those tighter pencilers, you know, um, I mean, I love classic eighties artists, of course, uh, but <clears throat> like Ian Churchill and Will Spatasio, uh, who I've become friends with, um, you know, it's that 90s style, that flair that I thought would really match uh, the aesthetics of and the designs of my characters uh, and Tyler Kirkham and, you know, people like that and Sean Chen. Uh, so that was pretty much where that was at with, with as far as like the household names. But I also like to hire a lot of independent artists that maybe aren't a household name that you don't know uh, because they're just really talented and, you know, and their their line work is amazing. And I tend to get like 15 covers on each on each. Basically, I have like 66 or seven covers just on three issues. <laughs> As you can see, I'm an art fan. So um, that's awesome. I like to I like to um, support artists and 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 hire them and and look we're all just trying to uh, live our dream and enjoy what we're doing and if I even in my small way can do that uh, then I like to balance it out between the quote unquote you know household big <laughs> names and the up and coming hungry guys you know right hundred percent and there's something you said that I think gets a little lost there but it is a business. So I'll start with you, Phil. How do you stand out in the crowd of independent books? See, I'm I'm a humble dude. I don't feel like I've accomplished anything yet, but people keep telling me how much I have. So that's a tough question for me because there's a lot of great indie books out there, but I honestly feel that my book has a good, it, it's a high quality book. I mean, it's it, it'll stand up to anything on the shelves as far as the 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 art and and the writing and I you know I I do have Chris Sotomayor coloring the book who is a famous colorist for Marvel and DC for the last thirty years a smart man surrounds himself with the best talent and I guess I would say I do think my writing is solid not that I can't get better of course but I think it's solid but I think I'm smart enough to understand that if if you're going to do something, you do it a hundred percent right. And that means you have to surround yourself with those professionals. Uh, because at the end of the day, whether I'm the best writer or not, it's looking at the cover of that book. That's going to make someone go over to it and pick it up. The artist grabs the reader, the writer keeps the reader. So I, I would say that uh, I just, I have an amazing team of professionals that put out a professional book and uh, I think I'm doing all right holding my own with them, but we'll find out. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Unlike Phil, I am not a smart man. So I have to surround <laughs> myself with even with even smarter people, okay? Smarter individuals. Um, you know, I, I, I'm with Phil. It's like I'm 53 years old. I'm really just a fanboy, okay? But I have just a wealth of ideas. And I know Phil said this earlier. He's like, man, I just sat down and I wrote 13 comic books. Those have been inside Phil Russert's head for his entire life. Okay? Me too. And honestly, and I have no doubt Phil is going through this as well, but these, the artists that I am working with, 
they have a ton of ideas still that they haven't had. You know, I'll give you an example. I had three artists this week alone who I'm working with call me up and say, hey, I've got an idea. Will you publish my comic? Three different guys I'm working with this week. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. What are we waiting for? So you surround yourself with talented, brilliant minds. It brings out the best in everybody in the group. I, I, I have no doubt Phil agrees with me on that one. And we learn. You and I get better at what we do because we're learning from the masters. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'll tell you something. Alan, Alan Weiss has been such an uh, integral part of my, my comic book, The Masters. And when, when we first started working together, I mean, we would spend literally hours on the phone just going through his chapter alone. I mean, how can you beat that? <laughs> you can't you can't beat the attention that these guys have given you know they are they are absolutely amazing and again we're all working with pros pros okay and there's enough and there's enough future stuff in the pipeline for power comics incorporated that we'll be able to bring in younger guys different guys you know men and women with different ideas that you know not just the old timers, but there's, there's a plenty, man, there's a lot of guys out there younger than us who, you know, they style themselves after like the greats, like John Buscema or John Romita senior, right. Guys like that. Um, and, and I was, I was going to touch on this before. It's so hard for all these guys to find work. You know, before we went on live, we started talking it's, it's about a, it's a crime, so though. many, Right. Well, well, it is. But this is this is what I think is going on, Phil. And and let me know if you think I'm right. I could be off base. But when we were kids, I'm 53. So I was a child of the 70s, teenager of the 80s. Right. So in the 70s, you think about those guys. Right. You think about the Rubensteins. You think about Starenko. You think about uh, John Romita Sr., Ron Wilson, Keith Pollard. You know, those guys, Al Milgram. And all of a sudden, it's. How many years later? 50? How many more artists are out there doing this? These guys are still alive. And we've just created more and more artists. Is there enough work for all of them to do? I mean, I don't think there are enough titles at Marvel or DC combined to give work to every artist out there who wants to work with those guys. I think that it just it's just like an like like natural attrition, you know what I but in reverse, there's just more of it. I think that is part of it, but I also think that we have these big publishers are hiring editors now that don't really have an understanding of the industry, and they're also not in charge anymore. But on top of that, they don't want to go with the the pros. They want to discover the new pros because they're about making their own name. I'm the editor that found the new name, and that's why guys like Larry Stroman and Ron Wilson and Keith Williams and Alex Saviak are kind of getting thrown to the side uh, and not in my opinion, getting the due respect of they're the ones who made Marvel and DC what they were through the seventies, eighties and nineties. I mean, think about it before the image boom, these guys were carrying the load right. and they were doing several books. And this is when, you know, you had to paste the letters on the darn pages, you know, and you had to get a, you had to get a, a mail runner to bike it over to the office on the other side of Manhattan 
Uh, so it wasn't the, the mail age. runner. Yeah, and and like guys like Bob Quick Sharon, silver messenger service. Yeah, <laughs> and guys like Bob Sharon that are hand coloring the pages. Yeah, they're hand coloring. Right. I mean, you know how long that takes. Right. Um, yeah. So I think technology, uh, convenience, uh, economics, and uh, new editors that are trying to prove themselves, they just they don't want to, unless you're John Romita Jr., uh, you know, they, they, I think they're just going past all that. And it's a shame. Yeah. Uh, that's why I love what you're doing over there at Power Comics. Um, I think it's Thanks, fantastic bro. what you're doing. And um, these guys, they deserve uh, the recognition that you're giving them. So kudos to you, man. Thanks, brother. I love what you're doing, too. And I, I think that maybe this is really, really the direction the industry is going to go in. I, we all know that there are distribution problems, right? Yep. I mean, I've heard crazy things, crazy talk out there about where this industry is going. And, you know, maybe maybe we're at, at the, the cusp of this, you know, brand new day. You know, I, I think that this, holding, this might be where we're going. The only thing holding back some of these really quality indie books is distribution. Because right now there's an indie renaissance going on. People are hungry for, yeah. for more stuff, better stuff, or the passion that they feel is missing from comics today. Um, not to get too deep into it, because I don't want to do that on Orange Show. But I also think that people are tired of comics being pulpits for a writer. They just want a good story. Yeah. If you know what my belief right. is, if you know what my political or socio-political stance is on anything, I failed you as a writer, period. You're not here to yeah. listen to my opinion. I don't have a megaphone. I'm writing a comic. And it's to be a story that entertains right. and gets you away from that. So I think the indie scene, people are hungry for that. But there's not enough money in the indie scene for quality work to be put out. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I agree with you, man. Get off, get off the soapbox, right? Yeah. Do you guys think that waste and marketing is the head stepchild? Um, I think that yeah, the the comics are not where they make money anymore, and they're just using it as a platform to market right. towards the movies. And they feel the movies are the way to go because yeah, they're making millions and they're reaching larger audiences. But I also think they're mistaken in yeah. thinking that those movies are going to attract new readers to the books because they're not. They're not. Uh, as a matter of fact, they've alienated their old longtime readers and lost a lot of readers in my, you know, mine and Austin's age range. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I don't know about right. Austin, but I, I, I couldn't care less about what they've been doing with the characters I grew up and loved. And, you know, maybe it's just a natural progression. Look, it's not written for my age anymore. They're trying to reach a new audience and good for them. But I, I do think it's a mistake. Uh, that they're not learning from, but yet they're rich and I'm struggling to get my book out there. So what the hell do I know? <laughs> it, it ain't, it ain't about the money, man. It's not about the money, man. The older I get, the more I, 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 man, in a way I don't even want the money. It just becomes a burden. It's like, I'm doing this because I love it. I love what I'm doing. I am working with some of the, I don't even want to call them comic book artists. I'm working with some of the greatest artists right. of our lifetime. These guys and these gals are amazing. I mean, Ramona Freighton is almost a hundred. Mm -hmm. And she and, still and draws she's really in. well. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. Her commission list is as long as anybody's in the business. And she is still killing it. She did a cover for me. She took her pl a plastic man cover she did like in 1978 
and she recreated it with my stretchy guy, Golden Age Climo, right, with all of my villains, the Masters, pulling them in every direction, just like she did the Plastic Man cover in 1978. I think it was Plastic Man 11. It's unbelievable. She still got it. Oh, yeah, and uh, I've been wanting to get her to do an homage to a Wonder Woman cover uh, from my book. Uh, absolutely, for her to draw at this level at 90, I think it's like 94, 95 now, that's just crazy, but God bless her. Yeah, um, it is. God bless her, right? God has blessed her. Yeah. So what is, I'll start with you, Austin. What is your long-term vision for your books? To quit my day job. <laughs> that's my long-term vision okay to quit my freaking day job i am so tired of doing what i do during the day i want this to be my full-time gig my, my long-term vision is this <clears throat> and i'm on my way to to achieving this i've had a lot of a lot of dominoes fall the last two weeks that i'm not privy to tell you guys about in terms of um new books that we're looking at making new uh, licenses we're looking at acquiring. Um, uh, just what I'm trying to do, guys, is I'm trying to create a Power Comics universe. Mm. And I think I'm on my way to doing that. With a little bit of luck, right? Knock on wood, and by the grace of God, I think we're going to get there. I truly do. You know, I have to tell you, I always had a dream, and I think you're doing it now, so I'm rooting for you big time. Um, <laughs> of starting my own publishing company, my own image comics, but with the old time classic legendary artists, you know, and I think that's what you're doing now. And I, I really wish you uh, the best with that because I think the industry needs what you're doing big time. So, well, you know what, Phil, I, I've got room for writers, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> See how I write first. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'll talk to you. Oh. Uh, that would be great, man. I'm, I'm looking. I, I've got an arsenal of artists. I've got guys who just keep setting me resume, and I can't get to everybody. And it's like these are, these are talented people that, that we know. And it's like, hey, can I ink something? And I'm like, dude, you're next on my list. But right now, I just don't have anything that I need filled. It's like I've got this spreadsheet of everything that I'm doing for the master's project. And I've got every spot and slot filled by somebody. So if, if somebody falls off, like unfortunately we had a couple of guys fall out of issue two, but I had a couple of guys lined up waiting in the wings that I knew I was going to pursue and go after. And they immediately said yes. And, and Phil, like I was telling Warren before the show, issue two is almost completely penciled already. Nice. Because these two guys stepped up and they turned in 27 pages to me in the last three weeks. Wow. 27 out of the 28 pages. They're pros. Pros, pros. I said it before. Yeah. I can't say it enough. Pros, pros. And Phil, what about you? What's your long-term vision for the book? So, I mean, I'm, I'm right there with uh, Austin in the sense that, you know, the money does matter to me, but not in the sense that I want to be rich and famous. I want to just be able to sustain my lifestyle to where I can take care of my family, but do this for a living because this is where my passion is and have the money to, to, to do the other projects I want. Because like Austin had touched upon, I have other uh, titles that I want to do and I have teams ready to go um, that I just, like I have Chris Ivy waiting to do a book for me, Henry Martinez, you know, Scott Hanna said he'd come nice. on and be my inker, but I can't afford him right now. Wow. So 
Um, you know, so <laughs> um, I just I just want to be able to put my entire focus into uh, the comics that I want to do. And honestly, I just want my book out there in as many hands as possible because I feel like I wrote a character that everybody can relate to in some way. And when someone reads my story, the greatest compliments I get are, wow, you know, there was a little bit of me there. I like, I recognize that I'm kind of like that, or I know somebody like that, or I dated somebody <laughs> like that. or Because at the end of the day, uh, you know, some people lose sight of this, but we're all humans. We all have the same emotions and feelings. We all want to feel relevant, significant. We all want to lead fruitful lives that make us feel it was all worth it. You know, but we want to wake up and when the sun shines through the window, we want to be glad that sun is shining through the window. And uh, I can't speak for Austin, but it sounds like we're on the same page where this just invigorates us so much. But the day job is weighing us down. It's bogging us down. It's a distraction from what we really want. And if you see what Austin's doing now part-time and what I'm doing part-time, imagine what the hell we'd do if we were full-time. <laughs> and with my Amen financial backing. And if we had the financial backing. I mean, it would be insane what right. we could accomplish. That's awesome. So give yeah. us... I yeah. said, go ahead, Austin. No, I was going to say, man, Phil and I are completely on the same page. I think we might have been separated at birth. <laughs> I was the better looking twin. <laughs> he was. He was. He got. He got. He got all the hair. Yeah, <laughs> it's not that much left, but okay. <laughs> See, for 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 me for for me to get more hair on the on my head, I got to like do a comb over from the from my back hair and pull it off. That's how that's, that's how bad I got it. Right? It sounds like a new villain. Anyway, <laughs> sounds like a Dick Tracy villain. Man. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. That would be funny. That would or comb over. Yeah. Where does he comb that hair from? Back. <laughs> so, oh God. Yeah, man. It's like like the stuff that Bill and I are doing part time. Right. I mean, people are looking at it, and and I'm looking at it like I can't believe I'm doing this part time. I can't believe Bill's doing what he's doing part time. Right. Just imagine if we we could immerse ourselves into this right. full time. That's the dream. So give us a snapshot, and I'll yeah. start with you, Phil, about what the book is about. <clears throat> okay. So, you know, the pitch is always the hardest thing to come up with because it's, it's always more than the one or two sentences that you say. But uh, long story short, <clears throat> uh, I have a, my wife and my, I have two daughters. And I don't know about you guys. I've never met a woman that knew how strong she was, how beautiful she was, how capable she was. And we pay for it. <laughs> but in seriousness, um, 100%. So, so my wife is this beautiful, intelligent, strong, amazing woman, you know, and I'm sitting there looking at her every day and she doesn't get it. So I created this protagonist that's a female character. She's Irish. Well, I'm Irish. So go figure. Um, her, her father, her mother died at birth. She was her father was the head of the Irish mafia in, in uh, Hell's Kitchen. Now you say Hell's Kitchen, that's Daredevil. No, that's where the Westies actually existed. Uh, which is the Irish Mafia. There's a reason that that's historical fact. <clears throat> and when you write, you try to put as much historical truth in as possible to ground the story because of the, you know, you're doing all this fantastical stuff. You need something to ground. So 
Her father is mysteriously killed, but before he was, they had a good relationship. They used to go to the theater together. She became a ballerina. Her right-hand man adopts her because they can't have children, him and his wife. But he's a sociopath, and he sends her away at 17 for 12 years to train to be the most elite assassin. Um, This is a woman who is leading a life that she hates and doesn't know how to get out of it or think she even deserves a better life. And the more she wants and needs the love and respect of this evil man, the more she hates herself for knowing that she shouldn't need it, knowing what he is. She resents him and herself. Her strength is that she doesn't win every fight because I hate, how can you root for somebody when they're always winning? You know, Skeletor cackles, runs away. He-Man never was challenged. In real life, we get kicked in the teeth every damn day. And there are mornings where you wake up and you just want a fetal position, covers over your head and not face the day. Our strength is that we get up and we face it anyway. And that's what this protagonist is. She gets up and she faces the day anyway. As far as the story, if you took Boondock Saints and mixed it with Big Trouble in Little China, that's what you got. You've got rival mafias, assassins. You've got killer cyborgs. You've got vengeful supervillains with metahuman powers. And you've got Chinese mysticism and spirituality and magic. And uh, it all blends well together. And um, she's a character that while you're reading it, you're going to feel her her triumphs and enjoy her triumphs, and you're going to feel her lows with her. That's all. And it's only going to make those triumphs that much more for you to root for her. I'm a sucker for Rocky movies, man. And I want a character that the you underdog, sit there. Baby. Yeah, and when she gets her ass handed to her, sorry, am I allowed to say that? I'll go for it, yeah. When she gets her ass handed to her. I'm going to say it too. Yeah. When she gets her ass handed to her. Now we both did it, okay, Phil? There you go. Um, (laughs) When when she has that moment of triumph, you're going to be like, yeah, you know, or you're rooting for like, when are you going to finally, you know? And the first issue ends shockingly. I mean, everyone who reads it says they can't believe I did what I did. And then they read the second issue and they love me and hate me at the same time because I don't tell you what happens at the end of the first. I don't show you the resolution to what happens at the end of one until the last page of book two. And now here we are at book three, launching May 3rd on Kickstarter. And you're finally going to see the aftermath and what happens from the end of book one. Uh, There are no wasted characters in my book. They're all being developed and I'm not saying I'm as good a writer as Claremont because that's Chris Claremont. He's he's a legend, but I have a similar writing style. I am opening up plot threads like a big web. It's not very linear. It's it's this person is being introduced. and You don't realize that's going to be a, a something later. And this plot is being touched upon and and kind of hinted at. And it's all going to start coming out like real life. Everything's working simultaneously. It's not linear. What I do. Uh, do that Chris Claremont doesn't do is I close some of those plot lines to not frustrate the reader as I open new ones. Because I remember when we used to watch Lost, you're like, this is great, but can you answer one freaking question already? Um, Right. Agreed. This book is, oh, it's a wild ride. It's a roller coaster. It's a human story where she's not just, she's battling, you know, all these meta humans and this and that, but she's also battling herself that struggle to find uh, enrichment and happiness in life, 
the struggle, she's closed off and doesn't trust anybody. And it's hard. You know, the more people that turn on you, the harder it is for you to just be able to be like life just keeps taking a little piece of you every day. And then, you know, some of us let it take enough that there's nothing left of us. Well, that's her journey. Is she going to let that happen or is she going to finally fight the truest enemy she has? And that's herself. Sounds awesome. Man. So that's the long that's awesome. drawn Take out. Take my money now. <laughs> and by the way, I also got tired of comics going away from action. I My books are 30 pages. This one is actually 36 pages, full color. And there's, there's a lot of fighting too. As much as there's exposition, I want the pace to be solid and move along because how many shows and, and books are bogged down by exposition that is just not necessary or redundant. Um, it's a nice blend of some good action and uh, exposition. Like you, you don't have to speak a lot for a reader to get it. If you're a writer that has trust in your audience and in the artist you're working with, less is more. You know, you I could talk to Austin and he could say one answer in four sentences and you get the gist of what where Austin's coming from or what he's saying. So I don't have to overload you with a whole diatribe by Austin for you to get Austin, you know. <clears throat> so I don't know. I just I, I think I did a good balance on the pacing and, uh, you know, not dragging out the exposition and then getting to some good, solid, old fashioned comic book spandex fighting fun. Like <laughs> that, that's nice. incredible. And Austin, what about you with, with the Masters? Man, I, I, I just went with the traditional good guys versus bad guys story. You know, like I said earlier, it's really a tribute to, uh, to Jim Aparo's Brave and the Bold from the 70s, where, you know, every chapter is a, a team up. It's like a Marvel team up or a Brave and the Bold. And what's going on is like the protagonist. You know, like in Brave and the Bull, it was Batman. and Marvel team-up, it was always Spider-Man. In my comic book, it's the Black Owl. So I took this Golden Age public domain hero. Alan Weiss recreated him for me. And in every chapter, against a single villain, he teams up with another Golden Age public domain hero that's been recreated by the artist of that chapter. So Saviot got to redo somebody. Wilson got to redo somebody. Um, Val Merrick got to redo somebody. Alan Weiss got to redo two characters. And um, the last one, I'm, I'm forgetting who uh, who did it. But the, the bottom line is that in every chapter, one of my master's villains takes on the two protagonists, Black Owl and a guest hero, and they always lose. The bad guy always wins. And it's not until the end of the book where the Black Owl sits down. It's kind of like the Bruce Wayne, Tony Stark mind kind of guy right so he's sitting there he's like you know what i think i've got this whole thing figured out this is what we're going to do and the the story the reason why these bad guys are doing what they're doing is they're they're committing the largest art heist in the history of mankind right they're doing this we're stealing all of these paintings from all these different places pretty much at the same time right or successively in order to give them to the leader of the masters, who is an unknown villain, he's kind of like, um, I, I equate him with um, uh, Ultron dressed up as him in, the, in one of the Marvel books. He was he led the uh, Masters of Evil, the Crimson something or another. Remember that? What was they called? I forget. Or the yes. cloak. He didn't know it was Ultron. <clears throat> right. The Crimson something. So 
nobody knows who he is. He's leading these group of artist-inspired villains. They steal all of these paintings for him. And at the end, the Black Owl figures out why they're doing this. Why are they stealing all of these paintings? And it all comes through at the end. And I've got the final battle scene. I want to say the group fight scene between the, the good guys and the bad guys is all done by Tom Grummet. Yeah. And he's already turned in like eight. He's already oh, turned man. in eight of the twelve pages, and and they're they're pretty fly. They're Tom pretty fly Grummet. for a white guy. It's Tom Grummet, yeah. man. <laughs> By the way, I think it's the Crimson Grummet. Cowl. Crimson Cow. The Crimson Cow. There you go. There you go. The Crimson Cow. It was the Crimson. Something. I was going to say Dynamo, but I knew that was wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's but it, it's essentially it's it's a, it's essentially your good guy versus bad guy, brave in the bold story. The good guy wins in the end. The good guys win in the end. And they realize they're better as a team. So they form what's called the power core. And that's going to be my Justice League, my Avengers going forward. All of the artists who have recreated these Golden Age superheroes have committed to taking them all to individual titles if we want, which is fantastic unto itself. And one of the things that I do, I mean, Obviously, bringing in all of these, my favorite artists of all time, right, is a tribute to them, having them on this project. But I include little Easter eggs throughout all five issues um, and pay homage to a number of my favorite deceased creators from the comic book world. So you're going to see a a detective in issue number two that resembles Dick Dillon. You are going to see people that resemble um, Denny O'Neill and Dick nice. Giordano and Jim Aparo. And you're going to see references to John and Sal Buscema and Norm Brayfogle and Kane and Finger and Frazetta. Uh, yeah, you're going to see references. And, and guys like us will get it. They'll be like, holy crap, this is really cool. Very nice. We both have. I'm, I'm just kind of blown away by your guys' creativity because just as someone who reads comics, the, the stories you've all told are so creative. And like just you describing it draws me in. Like I want to read these books because, like you said, there's not a lot of stuff going on right now that's going to match that, I don't think. Yeah, what right. Austin's doing is what I think is missing from the look, everything's I know that comics uh always reflect society and society is kind of angry and dark right now. So the world is full of anti-heroes right now. And I'm sorry, but I got through a tough childhood because comics told me what was right and what was wrong. And you know what Austin's doing is going back to that, you know, some people are like, oh, and I'm not saying this about you at all, but you know, you get the people like, oh, it's corny when you do. No, it's not. It's what the heroes are supposed to be. You you grew up in a bitter right. age. We didn't grow up in a bitter age. And that's what these comics that he's doing to me remind me of. And that's the stuff that was exciting and fun and brings kids back to reading comics. Me, I'm not going to lie. I'm right. a little more older, you know, maybe like 14, 15, you know, seven year olds not picking up my book. I wouldn't recommend it, but um, but I love what you're doing, man. And I, I didn't have the means at the time Thanks, to brother. back your first one, but I figured I would just get the catch up to you on the next one. Um, you will. Yeah. And I plan on it. You will. The next, the, the next Kickstarter is <laughs> coming out 
man, I really wanted to have it up and going by May 1st. It's probably not going to be till June 1st now, just because of, you know, I mean, life gets in the way, right? We've, yeah. we've been talking about how life gets in the way. It's the, the cool thing is, and I'm going to, I'm going to put out an announcement tomorrow or early next week, letting people know that we really wanted to get issue one printed and out to everybody by, uh, by May 1st. It's probably going to be delayed two to four weeks. But the thing is, is that I have been working on all five issues for close to a year. Issue two is in the stage where it's being inked. The Mort Todd is my colorist. He's the, he is the common thread throughout. He does all of the colors for everything. and He does all of the letters. So I'm thinking because the way I put my book together, like the first issue alone, there's probably five, six, probably seven different pencilers in the first issue. Okay. It reads like an anthology series, even though it's not, it's one story, which to me is the beauty of it. So more, he's the thread, the common thread that goes through the whole thing. So the colors are going to be consistent. The letters are going to be consistent. Okay. But we've been working on all five issues since, you know, 12 months ago, 13, 14 months ago. Issue four is almost completed, believe it or not. All the guys nice. working on issue four have turned in everything. So when it comes to that Kickstarter, as soon as we turn it on and we turn it off, that stuff's going to be ready to ship. Nice. Issue two is almost done. Issue three is 50% completed. And issue, issue five, the final issue, you know, I've got covers done for it already. Grummet's got eight of the pages done. Bart Sears is on that book. Stefan Rue is on part of that book. And, uh, and I'm trying to remember who, who does the finale scene. Um, God, I can't remember now. It might be Mike Lilly, but oh, uh, you know, he's another guy that's working Mike, on the I'm a good friend of Mike Lilly. Great guy. That's my, yeah. I, Mike, my, Mike, I call him Mike. Mike is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's funny, man. That's great. But Mike is great. He is so incredibly talented. I know. I mean, beyond belief, this guy. Just unbelievable. I agree. He he does some amazing, amazing tight work, man. I agree. Yeah. No, no, no. I was just going to say, and there are other guys who I've just been able to pick up along the way to do covers here and there. Like, I just got an email. I'm looking over at my other monitor. Bob Budiansky just sent me an email. He's doing a cover. like a, like a re, He's doing a recreation of the uh, Justice Society cover where they're all sitting at the table, right? What is that? All-Star Comics number three yeah. or something? I forget the number, right? But he's doing a recreation of that. Mike Grell has done, you know, just on and on and on. It's been an amazing journey. Yeah, who doesn't love Mike Grell? <laughs> he's one of my favorites. And he's so friendly. Yeah. Yeah, he right? is. The sweet so we may. <clears throat> but, so, uh, Oren, I planned on yeah. sending you a PDF of my first two issues as a thanks for having me on. So. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate that, man. I, I can't wait to check them out. I'm not sending you nothing, Oren. Sorry. <laughs> well, you get nothing. You get nothing glad, for me. I'm I got glad, I'm a glutton for punishment, so he could sit there and go, could you at least have sent it in comic form so I'd have something to wipe my rear end with when I run out of toilet paper? <laughs> you know, so well. Yeah, yeah, with the, with the toilet paper shortage, I need comic books. Yeah. <laughs> well, Hilarious. I got one more question for you guys, and I'll, I'll start with Phil. and Because uh, you both know your comics. List me three under-the-radar books that you read growing up that people should check out. 
Sovereign Seven by Chris Claremont. Uh, Chris Ivy started on it. And uh, right after he left in the 90s, uh, Marvel, he went and did his own book for DC. Uh, you can see his X-Men love in it, but uh, new characters. Sovereign Seven is definitely is one. Uh, Nightman by Malibu Comics. He couldn't sleep. Uh, he didn't sleep. That that was another good one. Uh, That's being a good that this, one. That's a good one. And being that this is off the cuff, I'm surprised it came up with two quickly. So let me <laughs> see. Um, another under the radar. Yeah, right. That's pretty good. Another under the radar book, uh, tragedy. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, uh, under the radar. You know, uh, those are the first two to come to mind. Under the radar. Under the radar. Because uh, I have a lot of good stuff, man. Uh, I don't know. I can't think of a third one offhand. Maybe Austin. I might agree with something Austin comes up with, but uh, those are the first two that come to my mind. Man, I, I, I am, I am not an under the radar guy. Um, I was like strictly Marvel and DC, so I couldn't even. I really, I, I you know, for me, under the radar would be the Defenders, you know, um, and that wasn't under the radar. Um, you know, it's so hard for me to even come up with something. I, I, I really didn't get into, you know, Atlas Comics or, right. you know, any kind of an independent Ooh, the brand out there. Yes. The Badger. Sorry, yeah. the Badger. The Badger, yes. Absolutely. Badger was Ryan Old had a nice run right on now, that. Mike Barron. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Mike Barron did that, right? <laughs> yep. Mike yeah, Barron and Bill Reinhold. Bill Reinhold doesn't live that. Bill Reinhold doesn't live that far from me. I could probably throw a rock and hit his house. Oh, okay. He I don't recommend that, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you want to work with oh, him. Oh God. <laughs> no, 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 no. You would, but yeah, I, I don't know. And under the radar, oh, God, John I, really, I, I feel yes. Okay, you know what? I'm just gonna let uh, Bill do six. <laughs> You can do six, Phil. <laughs> under under the radar for me was like West Coast Avengers. No, but yeah. that, you know what? You're right though, because the, those were the books that you know. If you didn't find an Avengers book or Fantastic Four, you said, oh, well, "I'll see what's going on with the the West Coast Avengers." You know what's yeah. the most that can happen? And some of those books, like I loved the Solo Avengers. Yeah, those were good. I thought Solo Avengers was very underappreciated. I thought that was a good run. Uh, and, and I was serious about the Defenders. I mean, the first first comic I ever picked up was Defenders number eighteen, which was a Gil Kane cover. It was the Wrecking Crew versus the Defenders, and you open it up, and there's Sal Buscema, and I think he either had Dan Green inking him or um, uh, or Klaus Johnson. Mm -hmm. And I was like five years old. Okay, five, I, I can remember this like it was yesterday. I'm fifty three. I was five years old. My grandmother gives me 50 cents to walk down the busiest street in Chicago, Ogden Avenue, to go down to the corner drugstore, right? 1974. I remember it like yesterday. I gave the lady 50 cents. I grabbed that Defenders issue. I grabbed the candy bar. You know what candy bar it was? It was Marathon Bars. Remember those? Oh, yeah. They last a good long time. They were like braided like a pretzel, right? <laughs> and the lady asked me for a penny more for tax. Chicago, baby, it was just like today back then. Where's my tax, kid? And I'm like, I only have a 50 cents. True story. True story, but man, oh, man. 
Yeah. Oh, and Power Pack and Ro- and Rom. There you go. Rom, yes. Oh, Power Pack's a good one. Hey, how about this? How about this Justice Machine by Mike Justice? I didn't read that. That bounced around. Just, Justice Machine. Yeah, that was a good series. Okay. You need you need to take a look in the Justice Machine. Uh, uh, that'll be my under the radar book. I know Mike. Mike has been working with me on a bunch of stuff, inking things, and also doing pencils on some pages with uh, Andrew Peepoy inking his pencils. And um, <clears throat> he sold the rights to Justice Machine, and there was somebody else now. And you know, he still like spews these ideas at me about Justice. Oh, we ought to do this and we ought to do that. It's like, let's do it. <laughs> let's stop talking about it. Let's do it. See, I think you're a kindred spirit in that sense. Is I don't know if, and I don't mean this to sound arrogant or, or, or judgmental or obnoxious, but there's a lot of people that talk about the things they want to do, but they never move on it. Right. It takes energy and a set of cojones. To approach these people yeah. and to put it all in place and to bust your butt and it takes a grind that not everybody's willing to do. And I feel, uh, you know, you and I have a, a nice uh, a parallel thing going on where we're ready to grind, man. We just we we give our right. all into this. We love it. <clears throat> and I think the people want to work with us because they see it. Mm-hmm. They feel it. It's palpable yeah. from us. It's palpable how much we yeah. want this and how much we respect them and how much we want this project that we're doing to to really be the best it can be. And they see the hustle. Yeah. I mean, it takes a lot of hustle. I mean, the marketing alone is a job for three people, never mind orchestrating all the moving parts of creating a book. So um right. yeah, I mean, I you know, it's nice to see somebody uh, who really has that hustle and has that energy and that passion that, you know, we're in our 50, I'm about to be 50 and you and I are like, we probably have more energy than a 20 year old that we're focused, like laser focused on what we want to do, man. Every, every, every man needs his Adrian, you know, he needs a woman by his side and if smart men marry up and I was, and I was smart, just like I know how to surround myself with a great team. I knew to marry up. So, uh, I put yeah. myself in a winning position because of the people I, I surround myself with. And I'm thankful to them. Yeah. That's just good advice. Yeah. If it's all right, I just want to do a shout out to my, my the illustrator of my book, Ricardo Silva. Uh, he's a phenomenal talent that I have the great privilege of being his rep, his friend, and the publisher writer he works with. And he's got no ego. And we work well together, which I think is important. Uh, my The letterer, Jason Meadows, uh, Again, no ego, wonderful to work with, hardworking professional people, and of course, Chris Sotomayor. This is a man who colors Spider-Man and X-Men. He's been on Wills. He's been on JRJR. He's been on everybody. And he treats my book with the same respect as all of those books. He meets his deadlines. He's respectful to me. And he doesn't have to be. He could easily be like, look, dude, I'm sorry, but Marvel and DC are calling. He makes sure that he sticks to his word. And the, getting that kind yeah. of respect from a 30 year veteran, it means a lot to me. And I, and, 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 you know, of course the cover artists I work with, but I just, I just wanted to give a shout out to the core team and thank you. And thanks to Howard Mackey, who's been an unofficial editor and, and just a good friend and a good man. And he's a, I don't know if you know, Howard, yeah. uh, he's an amazing guy. He's an he's amazing, fun, amazing fun person guy. too. What's that? Very funny. Yes, he is. And he's, he's a straight shooter, yeah. but he's, he's, he's a good man. He's a really kind guy. 
Uh, him and I have some interesting conversations about some of the egos. <laughs> Good man. Great man. All right, gang. And we are back. Man, I mean, did you hear some of the names that these guys had working on their books? It's it's incredible. Um, I love that Austin is giving a lot of these older artists uh, opportunities and getting them back into the fold, which is so great. And Phil's doing the same thing. He's also bringing a lot of young talent in and giving them an opportunity to get their uh, art published so guys really doing fantastic stuff i highly recommend you guys check it out uh and you know back their projects get these books they're they're incredible yeah i remember seeing the masters particularly when it came out on kickstarter and uh the lineup they have uh working on that project is just phenomenal a lot of names you might recognize from our show (laughs) so i also recommend that you pick up their books and support, you know, independent comic publishers. But that will do it for this episode. Uh, we are going to read another review before we're out of here. Uh, remember that if you leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts, we will read it. You can get famous, or at least Dollar Bin Bandit's famous. This one is from late March from a user named ICC Trombone titled one of the top five comic podcasts there is. Thank you. We appreciate that sentiment. The review reads, I've been listening to the Dollar Bin Bandits podcast since 2021, and it delivers top industry legends in a fun and industry interesting way. The guests are allowed to share their experiences in a friendly way that informs the fan of some great inside info that is never discussed in forums. The hosts are inviting and just the nicest bunch of people producing podcasts today. No snark and a lot of respect for the creators. Five stars without hesitation. Thank you, Thank ICC you. Trombone. That Ooh. was uh, quite the ego boost, don't you think, Orn? I, I, I feel good about myself. And I'm glad to know that what we're doing uh, is making people happy and that they like uh, how we produce our show. I think, you know, you, uh, Joe, uh, myself, we were a good team and we have such nice people on the show as well. I agree. And uh, thank you to all of those we've read uh, up until the recent moment with our reviews. So please send us some more. We love to hear some feedback on the show. Uh, So I will give my usual pitch to rate, review, and subscribe. Hope you have a wonderful weekend and we will see you next time. The Dollar Bin Bandits are Oren Phillips, Joe Marcello, and Mike Farah. New episodes release every Wednesday and Friday. You can find us on all the socials, at Dollar Bin Bandits on Facebook and Instagram, at DB Bandits on X. For more super nerdy discourse, join the Dollar Bin Banter group on Facebook. You can email us at dollarbinbandits at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you found this episode. It's the easiest and most helpful way to grow the show. Looking for merch? Search us up on TeePublic. And if you want to support what we do, smash that support button on our website, dollarbinbandits.buzzsprout.com. Thank you to Sean McMillan for our graphics and Pat McGrath for our logo. Thank you to our friends at Tomorrow's Publishing, T-W-O-M-O-R-R-O-W-S.com. And thank you all for listening. Until next time, banditos.